The Start On Demand. demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Loren McNabb and a vacationing Brett McGarry. This is The Start On Demand. Thanks for subscribing, sharing, downloading Manitoba, celebrating its 150th. Do you call it birthday or anniversary? I'll let you debate that amongst yourselves. I like birthday, anniversary, apparently is the more appropriate terminology. Well, they've come up with a slogan. Yes, another slogan for these celebrations. We'll tell you what that is. We'll also tell you a couple of the suggestions which got turned down. We'll also tell you about the 50th anniversary of landing on the moon. That is coming up, of course, on Saturday, July 20th. Tomorrow, July 16th, is the anniversary of Apollo 11 leaving Earth for the moon. We visit with Mike Armstrong, who's curated an outstanding documentary series about this moment in human history. So why don't we just get right down to business? Holland was one of the stops on uh, the tour that the boys and I did. We got a picture of the nice Holland sign with the tulips and the windmill. Mm -hmm. They've got the miniature golf course right there. The boys think that uh, Winnipeg's Welcome to Winnipeg sign game is really weak. I don't even know. Oh, yes, it's blue with the yellow writing. Yeah, I think it's white. It's got the skyline. I think it's got the uh, Esplanade oh, Riel. Oh, yes, yeah, I, I know, know it now, yeah. They said, they, they, they said uh, why do these small towns have cooler stuff than Winnipeg? So we might want to talk about that as we discuss the idea of Manitoba 150 celebrations and the rejected names that came out of uh, the consultations to come up with the slogan, the newly uh, released documents show that United in Celebration was picked over two other phrases, McNabb. The two other phrases are revel the heart and love your Manitoba, explore someone else's. Mm-hmm. The co-chair of the 150th birthday celebration, Stuart Murray, says the slogan, United in Celebration, was picked because it includes everyone. And our mandate is to get more Manitobans to, you know, sort of visit this great province we live in and also to bring other Canadians to this great province to celebrate our 150th anniversary. The birthday celebrations kick off next year. What do you think of the chosen slogan over the other ones? Um, Love your Manitoba, explore someone else's. See, I don't mind. I get the point of that one. I just don't know if it was phrased correctly, and I'm, I'm not sure what the fix would be. I like the idea that everybody has their own piece of Manitoba that they, they just can't get enough of. So it's like, love your own, try someone else's. It almost sounds a bit adulterous. <laughs> Ooh, scandalous <laughs> even. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not, a, I lo- revel the heart. I, I don't mind united in celebration over those two. Why Why do we always have to come up with these new slogans? Why can't we just be married to the one that we've decided well, on? Well, this, first to be clear, this isn't a tourism slogan. I know where you're going. I just want to make that yes, point. I this understand is about the also. 150th birthday yep. celebrations. This is the slogan for the celebrations. We still, in theory, I believe, have the Canada Canada's heartbeat slogan for Manitoba for, for tourism pushes. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you're right. It's like messaging keeps, you know, you, you mentioned spirited energy from a few years ago, then the Canada heartbeats, and then this is a birthday one, united in celebration. So Friendly Manitoba. like Sunny Manitoba let's was one just years go, ago. Like, can we just focus on something? Let's find a message, focus on it, be committed to it, 
And then maybe some other people other than ourselves will pick up on it. Because if you keep changing your marketing ideas all the time, you run the risk of it just being an endless vacuum of average ideas that nobody else really picks up on. Here I am. I'm back at work 20 minutes. I'm already fired up. I'm honestly racking my brain to try to find that one word. The reason why I pause so heavily there, because I can imagine these meetings when you go around the room and people are like, you know, it's just that it's that thing that Manitoba has. Like, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? It's so great. And then you can't think of the word. Here's a clip I pulled for you from uh, Leanne Rowett. Do you remember uh, mm-hmm. who she used to represent? She was Minnedosa. MLA uh, from Minnedosa. Here is uh, from question period some time ago, about 12 years ago. It was an expense claim for a $1.29 pack of gum that brought down David Dingwall. Imagine, Mr. Speaker, if Mr. Dingwall had made his expense claim for beer and wine. Well, imagine no more, Mr. Speaker, for indeed, beer and wine have been billed to the Manitoba taxpayer for the development of the Spirited Energy Campaign. I asked the Minister of Competitiveness, how many bottles of beer does it take for the NDP to develop a slogan as bad as spirited energy. I like that. <laughs> I have no problem with spirited energy. Seventy zero. It's kind of an oxymoron, is it not? To have energy and then spirited. I don't know. Oxymoron? I don't know. Seven eight zero sixty eight. I like 68. it. We are spirited. We have energy. Our heart. We are Canada's heart. <laughs> That's one of the suggestions from one of our callers for. Uh, <laughs> Winnipeg or Manitoba 150. It meet you in the middle. Meet you in the middle. That's a good one. What, what's <laughs> happening with your voice right now? I'm doing what every little kid does, and I'm just a big kid. Uh-huh. When they have a fa- fan on, they just, you know, like to talk and sound like a robot. So Luke, I'm talking like a robot. I am your father. It is so hot in here. Yeah. 24 degrees outside, 23.6 degrees inside our studio. Ooh. So we had to fire on a fan here. I thought maybe you just wanted to look like Beyonce in a rock video or something with your hair blowing in the fake fan wind. No, I don't have enough hair for that. Yeah, getting lots of feedback on your suggestions for possible Manitoba slogans. Again, this is in discussion of the fact that we've heard what the slogan suggestions were for Manitoba's 150th birthday party next year, our birthday celebrations. Uh, United in Celebration was the chosen one. One of the rejected ones was Revel the Heart. I like this one we just got. Manitoba, 4.543 billion years old, but acts like a 150-year-old. <laughs> That's not bad at all. And uh, another texter, and keep them coming at 780-6868. I'm sorry, but all three slogans that they shared, including one, the one they picked, uh, suck. <laughs> My gosh, maybe they can ask middle school children to make suggestions, and they can pick from them. Guess it will grow on us. Like a wart. You let people make suggestions, though, and then promise that you're going to take the top chosen one, you end up with, like, Bodie McBoatface. That is true. That's the kind of risk you Well, that's if you open it up to a vote, I suppose. Sure, But we want your feedback on the slogans, 780-6868. Also looking for your feedback on a survey that's out this morning from the downtown biz Mm -hmm. on what would you like to see in the downtown? What's missing from the downtown right now? Is it about safety? Is it about bike lanes? Is it about a grocery store, a major grocery store? More shopping? You know, Portage Place is up for some redevelopment. We're hearing Water Park. So give us your ideas. We're going to talk to Downtown Biz after 8 o'clock. We'd like to hear from you on what you'd like to see here. Now, 150 years ago next year, Manitoba will celebrate its anniversary. 50 years ago this week, six 
hundred million people gathered around their radios and televisions to bear witness to this. That's one. I'm gonna step off the limb. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. That was the moment that Apollo 11 landed on the moon and astronauts, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, took those first historic steps. In honor of that moment, Global News has put together an incredible documentary that I'm sure will redefine the way many of us look at the moon and the role Canada played to get astronauts there. The company that made the landing gear on the lunar lander is Canadian. In fact, that equipment still sits on the surface of the moon today. And we're going to talk to one of the key journalists behind that documentary in a moment. But first, I want to play for you a section from the moon landing and the maple leaf, Canada's contribution to the moon landing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Yay, we got to go. Do you think Canadians are aware of the contribution that Canadians made? No, they're not. And the contribution was enormous. Owen Maynard, one of the chief engineers for the lunar lander, that vehicle that I watched when Neil and Buzz were coming down to the surface of the moon, that was a guy from my hometown. You were right there. What was it like? You are looking at one of the luckiest guys that was born in the 20th century. That was a part of the trailer for the documentary put together by Global's Mike Armstrong and David Dilla Harp. Mike joins us now. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. You, um, this piece already had McNabb quite emotional this morning, just watching the trailer. How emotional, how powerful was it for you to put this piece of history, this look back at one of the greatest achievements in human history into perspective? Yeah, I consider myself pretty lucky with the job I've got. Uh, last November, I got to go to Belgium for the 100th anniversary of, the, of uh, the end of the First World War. And this is sort of another opportunity to remind Canadians of our incredible history. Um, a lot of it I didn't know. I mean, uh, the story of Avro Arrow and the cancellation is kind of infamous at this point. Um, and I was aware that when it was when when it was canceled, a bunch of the sort of best and brightest went to NASA. So we, we looked at that. About 30 people from Canada went down and, and worked on uh, Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo. Uh, but then we just kept on finding new stuff, different things that I wasn't aware of, like the doctor who was in the quarantine with the three astronauts when they came back for 18 days, the three most interesting human beings in the world, and he gets locked up with them in case there are some sort of moon germs, or the story that we're looking at tonight on Global National, um, the, the lunar lander, and the fact that um, these legs were built not that far from where I live, just uh, off-island uh, near Montreal, uh, and they're still sitting on the moon today. I mean, uh, you look up at a full moon, and there's a piece of Canadian history staring back at you. That company behind it, they're based in uh, Quebec, if I'm correct. And I know you also spoke to them. What sort of legacy has la left them in terms of what they've been able to do in the past 50 years? And even when they go to tell the story to people that they're you know, behind this major incredible achievement or one of the key people behind it, what kind of reaction do they still get 50 years later? 
yeah, they've actually got, uh, they kept a piece of one of the sets of legs. And um, right now it's on loan to a museum in Montreal. And he said, you know, it sort of puts a bit of a damper on our sales pitches. And I said, what do you mean? You, you travel with the leg? And he said, all the time, all the time we take it with us. <laughs> it just opens up conversations and we can point to it and say, see, we've done this type of stuff before and, and here it is. Um, yeah, so they've been using it as sort of their calling card for literally uh, decades. Uh, and, and then you, you sort of, they've done a bunch of stuff they're very, very proud of since. But at the same time, once you've been to the moon, everything sort of pales in comparison. Well, we sort of do that all the time, don't we, Mike? We do that uh, idea of uh, we put a man on the moon. Why can't we put tinfoil in a microwave? Those sorts of things. We make that comparison. It's sort of the greatest thing since sliced bread comparison. Nothing else quite measures up. We spoke to one of the guys actually at the company, an older gentleman has been retired for I think about 15 years, but he was an inspector with the company, Eru, uh, back in the mid-60s. And he was the gentleman who would go and make sure that the work that the company had done met the specifications. And they, they milled these blocks of an aluminum alloy into these uh, cylinders, basically, the legs. And, and he said at the time, nobody told us that they were for the moon. And he said, it's a good thing they didn't because I wouldn't have believed them anyway. <laughs> oh, isn't that something? I, th I think it was at a trade show once for uh, construction and they had all these greatest tools. And so one of the things they were selling were drill bits. And the calling card or the selling feature was that they'd been used by NASA in construction of the space shuttle because once it drills one hole... They can't use it again because the tolerance disappears. It has to be that exact. So, uh, so many things that we've learned from going to the moon that have been, that we, we've benefited from over the last 50, well, obviously it took uh, almost a decade for them to, to put this program together and to, to get it in motion. Yeah, well, computers. I mean, they took the computers that existed at the time and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they improved them and improved them until basically these are the first vehicles that ever flew uh, under computer guidance. Uh, and I don't think we'd have the computers we have today. And when you think about computers and, and the technology that they had, it, and you look back at the moon landing, it feels like something that happened too early. Like, it's almost out of place in the 1960s. There, there would have been people alive who remembered uh, the Wright brothers, you know? And, the, I mean, that boggles the mind when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Jets and, and traveling by air was not that old at this point, and suddenly they're putting someone on the moon uh, with technology that is absolutely dwarfed by the, by the phone that I'm speaking over right now. You mentioned the technology. I think that's a big one. But for me, when I was watching the trailer this morning and the reason why I, honest to gosh, got teary was that I was thinking, I'm going to show my kids this because I, in your documentary, you also interviewed the folks like Chris Hatfield, the first Canadian to walk in space and the inspiration he got from that moment 50 years ago. And now I'm thinking, okay, kids can rewatch this again and the inspiration and hope that they might get for their own selves, uh, what they might be when they grow up is such a huge and powerful thing too. Yeah, Chris Hadfield puts it, it's basically there's like before Apollo 11 and there's after Apollo 11. And he's sitting there at a cottage, he's nine years old, he watches the moon landing and he said, at that point, he realized what an astronaut was, what an astronaut could do, and he said every decision he took about his life from that point on was based on what's going to get me to space. We spoke to Mark Garneau, who said he was sitting in the English Channel in a, in a sailboat on his way to London and staring up at the stars, listening on the radio to Apollo 11. 
And we also spoke to Julie Payette, um, the Governor General, one of the uh, but a retired Canadian astronaut. And she said uh, she didn't remember Apollo 11 because she was a little bit too young, but the later Apollo missions. She doesn't just remember them. She, she remembers the, the vehicle, that little, uh, almost a Jeep-like vehicle that was driven around on a 15 and 16. And she, she remembers how she sat in the gymnasium when they wheeled out the TV. She remembers the TV stand that, <laughs> that the TV was on. Like that's how much this burned into uh, the, the minds and the consciousness of people who would go on to be uh, Canadian astronauts. Yeah, I'm w- one of the guys I grew up with, born July 20th. I'm a 69 baby. My friend Michael Jansen was born July 20th. His name is Michael Neil Edwin Jansen wow. after all three astronauts. Uh, Mike, thanks for this, and we look forward uh, to your coverage all week leading up to the documentary The Moon Landing and the Maple Leaf, Canada's contribution to the moon landing, airing this Saturday. That's July 20th at 6 o'clock. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. in the morning, 24 degrees. One of our listeners saying, good morning, CGOB. I'm celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, landing on the moon with a cold glass of Tang. They still make that Tang. Maybe it's original from 1969. (laughs) That would be pretty tangy, wouldn't it? (laughs) Oh, Jeff, Braun, how I've missed your puns. Yes, of course, Saturday, the... uh, anniversary of the landing on the moon tomorrow is the anniversary of the launch of apollo 11 uh sunflower seeds something that uh, but even better uh, scientific marvel i don't think they would be allowed <laughs> on on any sort of spacecraft because of all the waste involved and um i did a lot of driving last week around manitoba and well, I'll be honest. I got a pack of seeds to to keep me alert mm-hmm. because it's a great way to go in terms of of uh, while you're driving long distance and cracking on those seeds. But it got me to thinking: at what point in the seed, like when you've cracked it, and you realize you've done a bad crack, right? You haven't done it in half. Maybe there's three or four pieces. Are you giving up on getting that seed out? No. Never giving up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Continue, Jeff Forte. <laughs> I don't know. Just move your tongue around. And no, I give up. You give up? Come on. I give up. I'm actually just not. I was saying this the other day. It was only in a few years ago, or probably in the last 10, that I figured out how to really... <laughs> How to do it? How to do it You're properly. just munching and on it generally. Kind of just, like, Use like, a knife and fork? What are you doing? Licking the salt. You know, There's and, a lot of the kids are just sucking the salt off sure. and yeah. spitting them. For out. sure. Okay, and here's my other question. Kelly Moore, you can answer this, and then you know you can go on a tirade about uh, spits. Uh, what's more disappointing, a seed, a shell without a seed inside, or a shell without any seasoning on it? Uh, I would say the shell without any seasoning on it. Yeah. Yeah. That just gets rejected right away. And and I'd add a third item to that list. You do all the work. You finally crack that seed (laughs) meticulously. Okay. (laughs) You've just received a 9-5 from the Russian judge. Okay. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And then the seed is rotten. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. that is annoying. That the black, that, seed. The black that, seed. That taste just lingers. And you just like, and then you're in the car and you're like, water. Like, does anyone have anything to get this taste? Meanwhile, out? everybody's asleep. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's a good one as well. Jeff Braun, what's uh, your well, uh, sunflower seed dilemma? I've got a long history with it because I'm from Altona, which is a sunflower right. capital of, of Manitoba. Yay! Yeah. Uh, and. This business of eating them in the cars is bizarre to me because we never did that. That was just verboten. Except Dave never 
cracked a, a few sunflower seeds while he was driving you around? Who? Abe. Abe? Oh, I don't know about Abe, but yeah. Ike, my dad never did. Ike, yeah, I'm sorry. Can't allow yeah. him in the... But my buddy, when we were in high school, one of my friends had this really, this 1972 Valari, this beater, and anything went in that car. We'd eat seeds and spit them on the floor. No. Oh. And at the end of the day, he'd just go to the car wash and take the vacuum and suck <laughs> up all the seeds. <laughs> Uh, and that's the only car I've ever eaten seeds in. Every other car would be not even out the window. Oh, well, just, yeah. They're what, too gross. They go everywhere. But what do you do with them now? Is it in a cup or do you spit them out? And then do you think that counts as, as litter? Sit on a lawn chair in your garage and eat them and spit them on the floor. And, then sweep and them. But In a cup. In, and then you throw it in the garbage? Yep. You never spit them on the ground? Uh, no, not not regularly. Even if I'm at the lake. Because uh, you got spits like... Uh, shells, shells all over the place. Yeah. Squirrels and, like them. And if you're, if you're eating in the car, one of the problems is that if you try to spit it out the window, the wind brings it back in, puts, <laughs> it, in the, puts it in the back seat. Well, we were at Clear Lake this weekend, and uh, my husband was, and my kids had a bag of sunflower seeds, and they're, and he was spitting them on the ground, and part of me thought, like I was watching him, and I can't remember if I said this out loud, but in my head I was like, do we do we do this? Or is this something we're supposed to be doing? Like I feel we're in a national park. We're in a national park. It just felt wrong. But I have been in a soccer field and everything, and spit them on the ground. Do you? What do you do, Kelly? Oh, I if I'm at the ballpark or whatever, I spit them on the ground. Yeah, I just put a big, great big chai in there, and that usually lasts an inning. They or grew so. out of the ground. Was. Yeah. I don't know. I don't well, know. It's, it's not But you're it's spitting. Yeah, it's not there is still like a spit thing going on, and that brought us to another part of the conversation we're having this morning about reaching into a bag, putting the sunflower seeds in your mouth, and pulling the sunflower seed yeah. out of your mouth. The shell, and then touching your saliva. Yeah, putting it in like a, a coke can or something like and that, and then going back into the bag. Yeah, no, probably just, be just spit that. it. Just spit That's it. That's my don't own. Touch it. I guess uh, that becomes my personal bag at that point. Yes, and pour them yeah, into but, your hand. And it's usually only halfway through that process that someone's like, hang on, have you been doing that the whole time? Hand back in that bag this entire time? We're sharing this bag. Drives it down to Whitehead, and that'll please the fans. Five-yard line to the 10. Lucky Whitehead to the 15, the 20. He's to the 25, the 30, the 35, the 40, the 45. Center field, the Argo 40, the 30. Cuts it back at the 20, the 15, the 10. Touchdown! Lucky Whitehead on the game opening kickoff. There are no penalty flags. And what a start for the Blue Bombers. 104 yards. Lucky Whitehead electrifying opening kickoff return for a touchdown which very quickly put to rest any ideas the Toronto Argonauts were going to hand the Winnipeg Blue Bombers their first loss of 2019. The Bombers are now 4-0 for the first time since 2003. Just for your information, the Bombers lost the West semifinal at home to Saskatchewan that season. And that opening game kickoff return for touchdown Kelly Moore Ryan Langford, I believe, did that for the Bombers back in 2017, July, correct? July 13th against the Toronto Argonauts. So and before that? that, Marcus Howell ran one back against the Argos in 2000. So that's three for three. Against <laughs> the Argos. And, of yeah. course, Marcus Howell got to give him a shout-out because he's right a Daniel on. Mack Good alumni. Saint James boy. You, you betcha. betcha. Yeah. So, uh, hey, so tell me this. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, are they the class of the CFL? Are they sort of alone in the penthouse? Uh, I don't know that they'd be alone. Hamilton looks awfully good. They played a very strong game against the Calgary Stampeders, but uh, Winnipeg, I guess you have to say for the time being, they're alone because they haven't lost. 
And uh, they they continue to do a lot of things right. You know, it's very interesting on the pregame show uh, when they were doing the keys to the game just before he left to go upstairs. Uh, Ed Tate told Bob uh, Irving and Doug Brown, you know, punch him in the mouth and punch him in the mouth again. And that's exactly what the the Blue Bombers did, you know, between the 104-yard return by Lucky Whitehead, then that 81-yard punt return by Charles Nelson that set up the five-yard pass to Andrew Harris in the flat, and then there was the long bomb to Darvin Adams, and it's 21-0 basically halfway through the first quarter. His point, don't let up. Just because, like, keep going, going, going. Don't don't even give the Toronto Argonauts a a whisper of a hint that you're not going to take them seriously tonight. And that's what the Blue Bombers did. Yeah, did they let down in the second half? Yes, they did. But uh, I I think that happens to a lot of teams. I don't think you, you, I don't know, maybe some teams, maybe you can embarrass them. Like when, you know, Hamilton is Toronto's arch rival. Sure. So when the Tiger Cats kept on pouring it on, I think that's a little bit different than what took place at uh, IG Field on Friday night. You have to consider the implications in terms of standings, Kelly, when you're playing a division rival in terms of tiebreakers, yeah. etc. I know at 67-17 or, you know, 64-14. When yeah. you're, you know, yeah. when you're 40 points or more yeah. ahead of a team, you might be uh, contemplating uh, not embarrassing them, but there are other factors at play that uh, would be in effect in a divisional well, game and, versus and, a yeah, non-divisional yeah, game. Yeah, and pride kicks in for the Toronto Argonauts. At some point, they say to themselves, hey, you know, like, you we're hope. getting embarrassed out here. Uh, but, oh, man, I'll tell you, they were as bad as advertised. Hmm. Like, between the confusion, guys not knowing where to line up, uh, man, they've got a lot of work to do. I oh. will give them credit on the defensive line. They did get yes. after Matt Nichols, Cl- and, and they did, and they did not lot. quit. They did no, not quit. They no. came out to play Absolutely. in the third yeah. quarter. It would, have been def- it would have been easy for them to throw up a white yeah. flag. Who was that who hit Strevler in the third quarter? <laughs> oh, boy, that was uh, yeah, that, that was a tough one. And Nichols took a helmet-to-helmet, too, yeah. Yeah. early in the first half. Hey, a bizarre, if not shocking news out of Montreal. Cavis Reed is out, as you've been reporting in the sports this morning, Kelly, as GM of the Montreal. Montreal Alouettes tell folks that might not know who's in, at least on a temporary basis in that position. He's back. back. Joe Joe Mack. Mack the knife. (laughs) If anybody could cut up a seat. No, I'm just kidding. But I saw so many people on Twitter yesterday being like, did did, did nobody remember what Joe Mack was to Winnipeg, you know, seven, eight years ago and, and the mess that many think he left oh, behind in yeah, the twenty eleven twelve season. Uh, he was he was he was great at finding talent yes. in for certain positions and American talent right. in it particular. Was the CFL draft. It was, CFL yeah. draft and Canadian talent, he was very poor at that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the the young fellow from the Okanagan Sun who he drafted with the third overall pick and everybody was saying oh boy, you know like was Sergey Bouton like? If we want to make yeah, a Winnipeg was, Jets analogy, it was kind of like that. The name's escaping me right now. But this poor kid, I mean, he uh, he couldn't stay healthy, and then he just wasn't good enough, and and never did play. But I mean, you know, we could say the the same thing uh, uh, with the, the number one overall pick from just a couple of years ago. I'm trying to remember the the, the defensive the, uh, and yeah. defensive lineman. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All of a sudden, I'm just you know I'm I'm going blank here. So you know, there have been some faux pas, but anyway. The Alouettes coming off impressive back-to-back wins over uh, Hamilton and over Ottawa. 
And then all of a sudden, Cavis Reed, get, uh, Cavis Reed gets fired. Now, Patrick Boyvan, their president and CEO, it was rather cryptic, rather, just saying, you know what, there are some legality issues here that are preventing us from providing any details. But some things had come to my attention over the last couple of weeks uh, that we felt compelled that we had to act on them. Now, there's a reporter uh, from RDS who covers the Alouettes who uh, intimated that perhaps there was a little fudging with the financials when it came to the salary cap and also with receipts for personal expenses. So, who knows? But uh, maybe some of this will come to light as those legalities get cleared up. Uh, Trent Corny, is that who you're trying to think of in terms of that blue Not bomber? Tr- no, draft? no, no, no. Uh, I'll, I'll think. He was the number one overall pick. He was the defensive lineman out Faith of Iowa. A- uh, Faith Academy. Thank you. Okay, there we yeah. go. I figured we'd get there eventually. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest tennis finals ever oh. yesterday morning and into the afternoon, local time or our time, longest Wimbledon championship match ever, four hours, 56 minutes, Novak Djokovic his fifth Wimbledon championship ever and a first for the championship a fifth set tiebreaker it was one shot away from losing the match as well this match had everything and it could have gone easily his way his way is Roger Federer's way who had two match points at one point in that match Kelly yeah and and when you look at the stat sheet you know, it would be, I guess, akin to a hockey game where one team outshot the other. They won all the faceoffs. Uh, they had all the best scoring opportunities, and yet somehow they wound up losing. And that's what happened to Roger Federer. I mean, he was the better player. Mm-hmm. Novak Djokovic even ad- admitted that. He said that Federer uh, on form played far better than he did. But he won the points when they mattered. And who knows, they might have still been playing as we're speaking right now if they had not invoked that new tiebreaker rule. Goes to show just the extreme talent there, too, and when, oh. it, when it comes down to just that. Yeah, yeah. They are the big three. They're the holy trinity as far as I'm concerned. We're just we're seeing lightning flashes here uh, outside of our windows at Polo Park. But, you know, between Djokovic, Federer, and Rafael Nadal, I think, I'm trying to remember how many major titles they've won in a row now. And I think it's now 15 out of the last 17. Well, Federer has 20 himself. I, yeah. I know not in a row, but overall, yeah, but, 20 for Federer, 15 for they, Djokovic. Yeah. And uh, Nadal is in double yeah. digits as well. They it's just, ridiculous. Yeah, they bring out the best in each other. They really do. And as much as we were all looking forward to Federer and Nadal on Friday, this match, this match surpassed that in terms of the level of play, the drama that was involved, uh, just everything. It it was exquisite. There's no other way to describe it. Kelly, I've often said that ballet dancers might be the best athletes on the planet. Tennis players have to be close. Oh, the, the amount of, it's the stopping and starting and the pivoting that, uh, I, I am surprised that tennis players don't blow out their Achilles. Yes. Yeah, more And their often. knees and everything, yeah. the way, and the way they turn and on a dime. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's playing on these hard court yeah. services that kill their knees. You know, Pete Sampras, he had to retire far earlier. And same thing with Andy Murray. And it's, you know, it, it's the wear and tear they put on their bodies. Kelly, I'm yeah. covered in bruises from a splash pad park inflatable. <laughs> I don't even know what the pain those tennis players go through when I can't even do a bouncy castle in a water Park situation. But. Hey, speaking of tennis, one thing, Google this. I don't know if you guys saw this on the weekend or not. My wife actually pointed it out to me, but Henri Leconte was involved in a Legends game, and they brought the court, the chair umpire down to play in a men's doubles. It is hilarious. I think Patrick McEnroe is involved in that as well. Google that. Th- it's fabulous. It, the way they handle this, Henri Leconte's doing play-by-play up in the umpire's chair. Yeah.
We're joined now by Kate, Fes- Kate Fenske, who's the CEO of the Downtown Biz. Good morning, Kate. And an important conversation we're looking to have today because the question you're putting out there is essentially, there's two ways to phrase it, but I'm phrasing it as what's missing from Winnipeg's downtown? Are we looking for better bike path, transit, bigger grocery store, a major grocery store that keeps coming back, liquor store? I don't know. What are the conversations we're looking to have about what we'd like to see in Winnipeg's downtown as we march towards an even improved space in that area? And you guys are launching a survey of sorts this morning. Yeah, what we are really wanting to hear from Winnipegers is what do you want to see downtown three years from now, five years from now, ten years from now? It's it's really good time to have this conversation. There are so many opportunities out there. Uh, we're seeing a lot of activity, construction downtown, and, and I feel like we're, we're there's been progress for the last decade, right? And we're seeing changes, and and there's more things happening. If I even go out at you know our, our farmers market on Thursdays, it is packed. We've just had to expand to True North Square, so there's a lot lot of activity during the day, Monday to Friday. You know, do we want to look at how do we build that evening activity, the weekends? How do we create that space where people want to live, work, play downtown? So for us at Downtown Winnipeg Biz, um, you know, we manage a lot of programs. We have um, our downtown foot patrol that are the eyes and the ears downtown. Uh, We have our Enviro team that is cleaning up litter. They're cleaning bus shelters. And so when we're looking at what are we going to be doing for the next three years to contribute to downtown success, that's why we want to hear from Winnipegers. And so we want to hear from people that are living downtown, working downtown, but also all Winnipegers. So if you come downtown once a year for a Jets game, we want to hear from you. What might bring you back more? How are you traveling downtown when you do come? And when you come, do you come beforehand to go out for supper or do you stay afterwards for drinks or are you one of those who still comes and leaves? Exactly. partaking in anything else that's in the downtown. Well, I wanted to jump off from that because I, I think that you can get caught in this cycle of thinking that you're going downtown. Jets games or any event at Bell MTS Place, prime example. I can get in my garage when I can park in there. I can get in the garage. I can leave my jacket at home when it's 30 below, drive downtown, park downtown, use the skywalk, go to my seats, turn around and go home. Yes, I've attended a hockey game in downtown Winnipeg, but have I really been downtown? And I would argue that I've not been. I've been at an event that takes place in a building in downtown. And the idea in my mind is how to encourage people like me and others who go downtown or to events in downtown 20, 30 times a year to be more of an active participant before and afterwards. Exactly. When we look at, you know, there are such great things downtown. We've got the ballet. We have the forks. We've got the art gallery. We've got the Human Rights Museum. But what's happening in between those? You know, are you going to walk from the art gallery, you know, if you go there specifically for a show, or are you going to go back home? Are you going to walk down to the Forks if there's nothing in between there? You know, so we're looking at ways, how do we shorten that walk? How do we create things that, um, you know, not only do you feel safe, but there's something interesting to look at, to see. And and our job at the Downtown Winnipeg Real Biz is really to beautify and promote improve and promote downtown. So what does that look like? What does it mean? How are you going to come down, you know, instead of that, just that once a year, what would entice you to come down more? What is it that you want to see? When I look at, um, you know, other downtowns and, and what, what we can do here, it really is about creating that energy and the vibrancy on the street. So I may not know what restaurant I'm going to go to or where I'm going to shop, but if I know there's a street, a destination where there's lots of choices and lots of options, you know, all the businesses there are going to be successful. So you do this survey, it's an online one, 
you can do if you want to participate for Winnipeggers. They can go online right now. We would love to hear from all Winnipeggers. It is. We just launched it this morning. Uh, so this is brand new. So it's downtownwinnipegbiz.com slash make stuff happen. We're inviting all Winnipeggers to help us at the biz make stuff happen because that's kind of what we do. Um, and it's less than 10 minutes. There's, I think, 19 questions. Um, but it talks about everything from safety, perceptions. What are your priorities for downtown? You mentioned the safety and the perceptions. And I think that's going to be a big one no matter what. We'd like to think we've moved past that, but then we kind of fall back in. We've had a couple issues, not a couple, many issues with the meth crisis in the last year. And so that's, I think maybe two years ago, we were thinking we've passed this this uh, perception issue of downtown safety, and it kind of feels like we've been sucked back in a little bit with the concerns of everyday Winnipeggers. In reality, what can the downtown biz really do about those kinds of issues? I think we play a big role. Um, one part of our, our of our role is to bring people together to talk about solutions. So we work very closely with Winnipeg Police Service and the private businesses of how can we all work together? Uh, what do we do? But also advocating for social services um, and, and programs that our community needs. We want to make sure that whatever we do, that our downtown remains inclusive uh, and it's a supportive community. We have also a community homeless assistance team um, that is connecting with individuals on the street and connecting to them to the programs they need. And you mentioned meth. You know, it, it is such a challenge that cities across Canada are facing. And there, there's no silver bullet uh, on what the fix is. But I think having the conversation and what's important, um, when we look at just the basic sort of feet on the ground and what we're doing, we have 30 foot patrols, our watch ambassadors that are out to help people. Uh, we have a safe walk program. And it really is about that community and the activity mm -hmm. on the street. Because, you know, if you walk home from a Jets game and there's 10,000 people in the street, Safety you, in numbers. you feel good. Yeah. And, and she mentioned just the idea too of, you know, you might go to the art show show at the art gallery and are you walking to the forks and I can hear people out there saying well I'm not doing that because that's a great distance to go but having lived in other cities when you have a lot of options along the way that's you a don't, reasonable walk you don't even know you're going that distance right. you'll suddenly find yourself all the way up Young Street or in Ottawa down Bank Street and into the, mar the market there and you've just walked walk two three kilometers and you don't know it because there's so many things just drawing your attention and just shops just well, restaurants just parks part of nothing the, major part of the city problem in my mind in downtown Winnipeg is the fact that you have a lot of the major buildings, even that draw people inside, don't have a focus to the street. So Portage Avenue, you have Portage Place. We can debate the effectiveness of Portage Place or not, but the biggest problem for me on that north side of Pro Portage Avenue is that the storefronts face into the mall. They have the odd storefront on Portage Avenue. That would make a difference. When you walk down the Winnipeg Police Service building, there's nothing at street level. The Millennium Library in the back, they've got that beautiful park, but it faces inward. City Place, it all faces inward, and I think that's the, that's the change, the cosmic shift, if you like, that will make things feel a little bit different downtown. Kate, we could have this conversation for hours at a time, but we've already spent more time than we had this morning. Can I quickly ask, Kate, uh, yes. what's the one thing you'd like to see? People. People yes. on the streets. I think it's That's going to make the biggest difference. 100%. And I mean, when you talk about the outdoor spaces and, and that is so key. So that's why we're building pop-up parks, trying to create that outdoor space, bring, bring people together. We have a pop-up outside of Tom Bargain. I went to go have a meeting there and it was full. And then they asked, can we have Wi-Fi next year? Kate, thank you as always. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Kate Fenske, CEO of the Downtown Winnipeg Business. One of the events that's... <laughs> I don't know, rightfully or wrongfully, that we associate with thunderstorms is the Winnipeg Folk Festival because they always seem to have at least one 
every year. We'll find out how they dealt with the weather as we start this half hour. Lynn Scromita is the executive director of the incredibly successful Winnipeg Folk Festival. Lynn, good morning. I can't believe you're even available to us this morning. Have you been to bed yet? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. I, I have. But you, as you can tell by the sound of my voice, it's been a, a long weekend. <laughs> well, you'd be uh, lots of... Uh, Talking, shouting, maybe singing along, but also I'm wondering how parched you were with the heat you saw this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It was pretty incredible, the amount of sunshine we got over the course of the weekend. But uh, yes, thank gosh we have uh, all those taps all around the festival site because I was able to keep well hydrated along the way. Were you basically able to stay dry or did that uh, thunderstorm early yesterday morning uh, get the campers out at Birds Hill Park? Yeah, it definitely got the campers out of the park, but thankfully it was all wrapped up by the time the festival got started yesterday morning. So, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm certainly glad this didn't happen last night like it was originally supposed to. <laughs> well, give us some of the numbers. I mean, how many people would that have impacted? Who, who how many did you have out there this year? Well, um, our campers uh, in particular, there we sold out both our campgrounds for the first time this year. Um, we had 7,000 people in the festival campground. We had 1,200 people in our quiet campground. So lots of people out there, and we're still tallying the final numbers for the uh, for the festival as a whole. But I can uh, I can guarantee you numbers are up over last year. And sorry, was that a first for the campground sellout? Uh, for the quiet campground, yes, yes, we uh, we sold out the festival campground three weeks earlier than than we did last year, and uh, the quiet campground has never sold out before, so that's uh, that's a pretty big deal for us. So this event started in 1974 at a much smaller scale. It was a free event. Now people book their holidays around this event, and not just in Winnipeg, not just in Manitoba, but all over North America. This is one of the hallmark events of its type. Anywhere. Is that fair to say, Lynn? Yeah, actually it is. Uh, yeah, we get people coming from all over the place. We have lots of people driving up from the States. We, when we look at our, um, our ticket sales at the end, we pretty much have somebody coming from every single province uh, across Canada and normally around 1920 uh, of the U.S. states. That's pretty impressive, and the lineup was certainly impressive this year. It seems to uh, make me uh, drool every single year, but how lucky (laughs) did you get with Casey Musgraves closing out the show last night and uh, multiple uh, Grammy Award uh, nominee, and I think she even uh, won one or two Grammy Awards earlier this year. Four, actually. (laughs) If you're counting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I have to say, Chris Freyer is probably one of the best bookers in all of uh, the, well, the world, really, because he has such a good eye for this kind of stuff. And so last uh, last October is when we booked her. And, uh, and since, uh, since then, she's just absolutely blown up. So having her last night was one of the most amazing Folk Fest experiences I think we've ever had. For you, and, and I ask this question every year, I'd love to know what the folks who are behind the scenes are the magical moments for them. So for you, what really stood out is that, aha, like, I'm so happy I'm here right now. Yeah, you know, I, I love that you asked that question because I, I always have that every year. I, I love setting up right by the main stage and and seeing everybody just enjoying themselves so much. I mean, there's so many different bands and different bands mean different things to different people, but like 
it's just um, incredible how many people are just having the best time and to be able to be part of the of the team that brings that to this province is so incredibly rewarding i i just feel so lucky to to uh, to be able to see people uh, in their environment and loving it so much. It's funny we can be so hard on ourselves in, in Manitoba and yeah. Winnipeg and, and maybe even Canada. It's a, uh, I've often said that Manitoba is to the rest of Canada as Canada is to the rest of the world, almost apologetic for our existence <laughs> at times. But this is one of those events that that just make you feel good about where you live. How do how do we translate that? How do we bring that to the greater community more often? outside of this this five-day spectacle that this has become? I say the exact same thing. Like, we talk about that Folk Fest feeling and the Folk Fest family and, and how we just need to bring that and to carry it out into the world because, you know, it's, it's a divisive place, uh, the world these days. And when everybody comes to Folk Fest, everyone's happy, everyone gets along. Uh, we, have, we, we really have, like, zero incidents with, uh, with the RCMP. They always marvel at how well um, everybody is behaved and, and how normally you get that many people in one place at the same time. There's, there's fights and there's all kinds of negative stuff that happens, but it doesn't happen at Folk Fest. And, and I think people need to remember that and they need to think about what, it, what they're like there, what, they, what it feels like to be there and, and really try and carry that back into their lives. What's the secret then? What's the one thing we could bottle? Is it attitude? Is it just the, <laughs> the way people walk in and leave the park when they've participated in Folk Fest? Yeah, I mean, I, I think over the years, people um, have really come to say, hey, this is not the place to not be cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you, have to, you have to behave yourself. So even if somebody's like, uh, you know, smoking a cigarette and, and cl- too close to other people, and you say, hey, man, that's not, that's not really cool here, somebody will, else will say, oh, yeah, sorry about that. And, and, and the other person says, no problem. And then they high five, and then they have a drink together. And then, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, there's just a, a way that people interact and, um, and, and it's partially because we have so limited um, time. We have like the weather, it, it, we, we suffer through a lot of winter. And, and, but categorically, Folk Fest weekend tends to be amazing. Like the weather seems to be really perfect. And I think that really helps people kick off their summer and, and, and just relax and have a good time. I got to ask you about the cannabis though, Lynn. You know, it was in the, mm-hmm. it was in the headlines and yeah. uh, provincial parks, it's a challenge in terms of what's allowed, what's not. Uh, that that is kind of part of that culture as well for some people. Fair to say, I, I think probably for some people, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like it, it had no impact on us whatsoever. It really didn't. Um, there was no increase uh, in, uh, in enforcement at all. There was no. There were no issues. There were no tickets handed out all weekend. I mean, uh, again, like our, our audience is pretty well behaved, and and they they know how how they're supposed to behave. So it's, it really wasn't an issue at all. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Even when we know you're probably tired, your voice (laughs) is ready for a break. Do you get a break or do you have like a whole week that you have to put in? Yeah, no, we have a couple more weeks of uh, now we have to clean up the site, right? Like uh, we build a a big city out there. We set up over a hundred tents and there's all like miles and miles of fencing and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff has to come down now. So uh, it's going to be a couple of weeks before we really get a chance to relax. Well, we appreciate your time. Lynn Scramedia, Executive Director of the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Amazing stuff as always.
Thank you. Congratulations on another successful year. And a shout out not only to those who attended, but the 2,800 volunteers volunteers that make that festival tick. I I don't know if there's a better, you know, we talk about Dauphin Country Fest, Mm -hmm. Fringe Festival kicks off on Wednesday. I mean, we have so many things going on in our province and so many of them are some of the best festivals on the planet of their type. We're pretty lucky that way. I have to say. You're it, freezing me out here with your fan. I'm shutting it down. Are you shutting it down? I'm shutting too down. cold it's Too now? cold now. Wow. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.